It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. It's true. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Hope you're doing well. What is going on? Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. Thanks so much also to the patrons who helped make the show possible. Loretta and Eric, Stephen, David, Jim, Curtis, Sherry, Nick, and Mark. Thanks so much for... Uh, becoming patrons of the program. You can as well. Just head on over to thepetecalendarshow.com and you will see a link at the top that says uh, exclusive content for patrons. You click on that. It takes you to the Patreon page and um, and then you're, you you decide what level you're comfortable with and away you go. And uh, you know if you do it before Thursday, you can participate in the live stream. We do it every Thursday. So thepetecalendarshow.com. Here's another website for you, mattressmanstores.com. Four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. And uh, they do ship nationwide, but they have local five-star white glove delivery service. They also have a 120-day comfort guarantee. And if you head on into Mattress Man now, take advantage of the Split King Mattress Blowout. It's part of the MLK Day sale. You get a free adjustable base with the purchase of select mattresses. And the Split King is, it's a king-size bed, right? But the mattresses are split. So you can adjust one side without adjusting the other side equally. So you can have one side firm, one side softer. Uh, you can raise the head, raise the foot of the bed, and not uh, and not have the other one do the same. So they act independently of each side. So uh, if you can't agree with your significant other about how firm the mattress should be or whether to raise the feet of the bed when you sleep, uh, or you know maybe one wants to watch television and the other wants to go to bed and you want to raise the head of the bed. So look, this can solve a lot of problems, okay? If you can't agree on that sort of stuff, then get on into Mattress Man. Take advantage of the Split King Mattress Blowout uh, and uh, save a bunch of money too while saving your marriage. Maybe. I mean, I don't want to say that your marriage is only hanging on by the argument over uh, the the mattress, but if that was a straw, this could save it. (laughs) All right. Go to mattressmanstores.com. Take a look at the inventory and experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. Joining me now is Congressman Madison Cawthorn, Republican from the 11th District. And welcome back to the show. I think it was the last time we talked to you was probably during the primary or or the, the runoff. So welcome back. How are you? Hey, you know, it's an honor to be back on your show, Pete. Uh, you're such a you're a giant within Western North Carolina, so it's uh, definitely good to, good to talk to you again. Well, I have put on some of the uh, the COVID fifteen, so uh, that does make me <laughs> quite large nowadays. Uh, so uh, I want to start with just uh, kind of walk us through what happened your day on uh, January sixth, and so you went down to the the rally. Um, and this was planned, right? This was part of your your calendar. You knew you were going to speak uh, at this at this rally, the Save America rally. Yes, indeed. Yes, it was right in front of the White House, and uh, my staff and I moved from the Capitol. We rolled down Pennsylvania Avenue to get there. Uh, every, you know, it was just like a normal MAGA rally. Everybody was very friendly, happy, everyone picking up trash, thanking police officers, shaking hands. Um, you know, it was very, very, very usual for what a MAGA rally normally is like. Uh, but then went down there, got to speak. It was a very uh, short speech. Only, it talked about four minutes because I needed to get back so so quickly. Uh, but when I did get up there to talk, you know, my main objective was to let these people know that 
you know, although their voice is not represented by everybody in Congress, I was at least representing them and fighting for them uh, and, you know, doing it through the legal means. And so that was the, the no- number one goal of what I wanted to do. And then and then you went down to you went back to the Capitol. Yes. So then we made our way back to the Capitol. We had a series of uh, kind of procedural votes. So, you know, just kind of voting on the rules of what our it's going to be like and continue to move forward. Uh, But then, you know, uh, I was contesting the election based on constitutional grounds. Uh, You know, the fact that there were several state legislatures that were bypassed by, you know, certain either elected or appointed officials. And, you know, I believe six key swing states, specifically Wisconsin. And so then, you know, I, I objected to the election. Uh, I, I did, you know, I got to Senator Hawley and Senator Cruz were great allies in that. And I think we really got to lead that effort well and got to speak on behalf of the Constitution, which it was an honor to get to do and to witness that uh, that, mo- that historic moment. But then uh, as I was getting preparing my remarks to come up to speak and debate, you know, obviously using situational awareness, you're wanting to read the crowd, see what the what the Democrats are thinking and what, what other Republicans are thinking, what people are saying. Uh, but in that process, you know, I'm also observing the Capitol Police officers. And then I noticed that they start getting more fidgety. They're definitely on their communication devices more. And so I realized something must be going on. I knew there was a rally going on outside. Um, but I had not, you know, I obviously as soon as I finished speaking at the uh, MAGA rally, I came right back. So I didn't hear any of the other speakers. Uh, but then uh, we, I heard that you know somebody has penetrated into the Capitol Rotunda. So that's up the up the steps and in, in through the main doors, and then you're right in the the number one area of the Capitol. Uh, but obviously, you know, I'm thinking that must be just one rogue guy who jumped the fence and you know maybe did a couple jukes and evaded the Capitol police officers just ran in. You know, a freak accident. Uh, but then all of a sudden, you know, if Capitol Police Officer Sergeant Arms comes up and they start describing to us, hey, we're going to go into lockdown procedures. Uh, the back of your chairs are bulletproof. This is how you use your gas masks. And so obviously some people are starting to get fidgety. A lot of the, a lot of the Democrats were starting to get very nervous. Um, and then we heard, oh, there, there have been shots fired, tear gas deployed. Uh, our our first, line, first line of defense has been breached in the rotunda. Uh, they've moved into uh, Statuary Hall, which is right outside of the uh, – the house floor and then so obviously we're hearing this over other people's radio so we're realizing the, this is a huge crowd making their way to us and then they signaled that we should uh, evacuate from the house floor and go through a different process but you know very similar to you know i, I know there was congressman dan bishop who didn't get to go through not uh the orientation process just to see of, of the way of his special election uh but also our orientation process for the 117th Congress was very different than most of them are because of COVID-19. And so very few of us had actually been briefed on how the evacuation was to work, how to put your gas masks on, these, this kind of thing. Um, and so as we're starting to go, you know, I quickly realized, wow, the escape route that they have designated is not handicap accessible. And so there are two other North Carolina congressmen, uh, Dan, or not, not Dan Bishop, but uh, Ted Budd and Richard Hudson. And those two really came through. They helped lift me over barricades, move things out of my way, get me down some steps into an elevator. Uh, so it was incredible. But then uh, we, we we got away. Uh, Capitol Police handled this situation extremely well. And then, you know, we evacuated into one of my colleagues' offices. And so I was sitting there with some other members of Congress. And then as we're looking out from the office window, now that back to the Capitol building, you, you know, 
Pete, I've got to tell you, it was similar to like watching Lord of the Rings. You know, it's at almost the the orcs have you know taken the walls at Helm's Deep. It, it people were everywhere on the capital. They were climbing the walls. They were, you had it completely surrounded. It was it, it would seem like it was ten, maybe twelve thousand people. Was that uh, at any point were you in fear for your life or your safety? You know what? Uh, thankfully, no. Uh, we I was always in a pretty safe safe scenario. Um, and so I was never in fear for my life at that moment, but did realize it, it was the closest I've ever felt, um, to what happened in nine 11, you know, just getting, I remember as a very, at a very young age, watching nine 11 happen on the news, uh, it gave me a very similar feeling. It seemed like America was being attacked, like a democracy was under threat. So you're aware that people on the left are, uh, saying that you're part of the reason why that happened, that you're. Your speech earlier in the day incited that mob to go down there and storm the Capitol, uh, to which you would respond what? To that, I would respond, you know, that just seems like a a normal Democratic tactic. Um, It's sad that they are trying everything they can to, you know, just get a a one up, maybe a, a land a hit on a Republican. And they'll do anything to do that. You know, obviously, in my speech, I was urging these people, hello, I am going to go and represent you on the house floor we have a representative government we have a, a constitutional republic and we were we were following our constitution uh the, so the people that did this this violent minority within the the supporters that had come out uh, for the donald trump rally uh, these people are not representative representative of myself of my party of the movement that we have going on right now that's really trying to put america first and so to that i would say you know it's this is just democrats trying to divide us even more right during a time when i believe we need to come together more than ever just because of how much the nation is is damaged and and hurt do you think that the uh the actions and the the amplification of the message that the election was stolen um do you think that played uh, a role, and if so, what role did you play in that? Uh, you know what I would say that probably the more, the ones that verge more towards conspiracy theories, I think that that probably did play some role. You know, you know, telling people I I couldn't ever myself prove that you know the Dominion voting machines changed votes, or I couldn't show that you know there were U hauls with with fraudulent ballots that showed up. Uh, but what I could personally prove is that the Constitution was breached. You know, in Article One, Section Two, uh, some, there was breach. In Article Twelve, or the Twelfth Amendment was breached. I believe that in a significant amount of ways, uh, the Constitution was violated in six particular states. And so, you know, I think when you come with that rational argument, saying, "Hi, I think the constitutional Constitution was violated. Let's go through the constitutional process that our founding fathers have set up to try and resolve this issue." And so as we started going through that, I don't think that added to the flames of people rioting or becoming violent. Uh, I believe. Go ahead, Pete. Oh, uh, I was just going to say that uh, in this uh, Politico article, they're quoting, I guess, an interview that you gave to WTVD. um, And they've got you. I mean, they they frame your uh, your statement as that you expressed regret about claims of election fraud. And so I wanted to ask you if that's accurate. Uh, you know, I, I would say that that is mistakenly reported. Uh, I had not I, I think that I had said that, you know, I, I was discounting the conspiracy theory wing of these particular uh, about the election with people saying, that you know, the Dominion voting machines were had been 
fraudulent and things like that. But that's nothing I could ever prove, and I don't think I ever really uh, pushed that argument. So, no, I, I don't have any regret of that because yeah. I didn't do it. More with Congressman Cawthorn in a minute. First, if you are thinking about buying or selling a home and you are either a police officer, a firefighter, a healthcare professional, or you work in education, or you're a member of the military, so veterans, active duty, or retirees, if you buy or sell your home with Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, you could be part of the Homes for Heroes program, and you'll keep 25% from the realtor commissions. Rowena Patton has given back about $800,000 so far to folks in those five professions. So do what I did when Christy and I uh, started our home buying process. We called Rowena Patton. You should as well. 333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com. She has homes in all price points if you're looking to buy. And if you're looking to sell, she will get your home sold quickly and for more money uh, she outsells 99% of the realtors in the state, uh, but also she's got buyers already lined up. So give her a call, 828-333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and then start packing. Congressman Madison Cawthorn is my guest. He is the representative for the 11th District of North Carolina. Um, and so also um, I saw this New York Magazine uh, piece by Olivia Newsy or Nuzzy. I don't know how she pronounces it, um, but I guess she kind of shadowed you for a while the other day and wrote this article. Have you had a chance to to see that? I have not read that yet. <laughs> I, I actually looked it up right quick. There's a there's a lot of articles going on right now. Yeah. So the headline on this one is what Madison Cawthorn saw at the insurrection. The youngest member of Congress is invigorated by the mob he helped incite. And she says that. You have a vision of January 6th that did not happen, one in which you do the noble thing for career and country, you use uh, your MAGA celebrity for good, and transform from, uh, let's just say, poop poster to statesman and emerge from the U.S. Capitol as America's savior. Um, did you have any idea that this was the kind of piece that she was going to write? And if so, I, I, I often wonder why... Why lawmakers give that kind of access to reporters? <laughs> if you well, had yeah, any idea that this was going I, to be the result, I had no idea that, that was going to be the result. Uh, you know, the main reason I was doing that is because I think for too long conservatives have stayed away from uh, more liberal leaning uh, news magazines or or news st- stations doing interviews there because. You know, it, it's very similar to being a Christian. You know, if you want to lead people to Christ, then you probably shouldn't just hang around with Christians 24-7. Uh, but also, if you want to convince people that conservative ideology is the correct ideology, I think we need to go meet people where they are and make our arguments. Uh, but I will tell you, I believe now, looking at this, and you can see why people would not give these interviews and this kind of access to these reporters. Because, I mean, this is a blatant lie. This is I, what, what most people call clickbait, someone trying to make – uh, a dollar because of you know probably low low readership and not making a significant amount of money so if they use clickbait that's going to get more people to go to their pages and they're going to be a more profitable reporter so uh i i also noticed some of the criticism that you've gotten from members of your own party uh back home in the district uh state senator chuck edwards criticized you for the speech uh that, that you made and former henderson county sheriff george Irwin criticized you although that also branched out into the cost of office space uh, i've not seen anywhere that's reported your response to that so i give you the opportunity to address those criticisms 
Well, you know what? It's very clear that there are a lot of people who uh, would probably like to have a primary challenge against me in two years. Uh, but also, it's, it's very clear that I've never had more support from my district than I do right now. Uh, an, un, an untold amount of people have been reaching out to me, telling me that they support me. They really appreciate my stand that I'm taking and that I, I'm doing what they elected me to do. So I, I'm very confident that I'm doing the wishes of the people of Western North Carolina. Uh, and so, you know, the people from my own party, you know, I, I think that's just opportunistic people trying to uh, get a one up. But, you know, obviously we did have to renovate some things inside of our uh, district office. Uh, one, because I believe people in Western North Carolina deserve a very nice office that they can come to, that their their wishes can be heard, that they can feel like uh, represents, you know, our mountain values. And also there were some accessibility things that needed to be added to it. Ah, so the or whatever the renovations, they included ADA compliance items. They did. They inv- they included a lot of that. And also, you know, I, I can't believe somebody is criticizing me for investing more money inside of the district, you know, employing our workers who actually make our, our economy run. So but it's uh, but yeah, so a lot of ADA compliance things and also just making a nice office for the people of Western North Carolina. Uh, one of the topics I keep coming back to and this uh, this was, I thought, evident in the um, in your in your primary, but mainly in the general election against Mo Davis. Um, that there seems to be, and, and I noticed it actually happened today. I was in an argument with, uh, with a couple of folks, including I think Mo Davis's campaign manager. Um, that uh, there seems to be a double standard uh, when it comes to what kind of speech incites and what kind of speech does not. Um, you ran into this in the election against him head on, right? That he used all sorts of uh, rhetoric that I would submit if you used would probably not be acceptable. Um, And so if that is the standard, that there are two different ways that people are permitted to speak for it to be deemed inciting, how do you then engage with these people that you say it's important to go talk to them and, and have these discussions with people on the other side? How do you do that if if what you say is held to a different standard? Well, you know, Pete, that's the uh, that's the question of our of this generation right now. It seems as if there is this liberal privilege that some people have to where they can make, you know, semi racist comments or outright violent comments uh, that would, you know, if, if a conservative made those comments or if a conservative did those actions, they would very quickly find themselves on the cover of, you know, a, a New York magazine or The New York Times uh, being blasted by the liberal media. And so I believe that this is probably the greatest assistance that the Democrats have received up to this point is the fact that the liberal media is on their side. Mm. Well, I'm, the- you know, I, I'm looking at a tweet from my former opponent, Mo Davis, right now. Uh, let me skip to Wait, the how has I- he not blocked you? He blocked me. How has he not blocked you? <laughs> uh, you know, this is a screenshot sent to me. I, I, I very I, I very rarely look at okay. what other people but it's uh, but it says here at the, I was a chief prosecutor at Guantanamo Bay and was skipped down several lines and you know he's talking about me and other people who other Republicans who contest the election he says it's time we start a domestic war on sedition by American terrorists now Pete let me ask you what do you think would happen to me if I said it's time that we start a domestic war mm-hmm. right yeah so and and this is I don't even know the value of calling it out as a double standard any longer because it does it feels like I'm trying to appeal to the very people that are employing that standard. So what's the point of calling it out anymore? 
Yeah, that I I agree with you, Pete. It's uh, it seems as if we just need to win this battle in the hearts and minds of the next generation, uh, because right now the the millennial generation, really the generation, you know, 50, thirty-five to fifty, they seem extraordinarily biased, extraordinarily divided, and extraordinarily partisan. Uh, and so I, I think that uh, hopefully, hopefully, as as a lot many people have said, many people have attributed with this quote that you know, uh. uh Hard times create strong men and women, and strong men and women create good times, and good times create weak people, and weak people create hard times. And it's a cycle that we seem to always be going through. And so as as you know, uh, you see a lot of times on on social media people saying, "I'm getting pretty tired of living through unprecedented events." You know, it's hard to say going through 2020 and now is it what is the start of 2021? Uh, it, these are clearly very difficult times for us as a nation, and really it seems like almost everyone on the planet. Uh, and so I believe that hopefully this will ins- inspire the next generation to be called to their highest virtues. So are you at all worried that the House leadership is going to censure or even attempt to kick you out of the Congress? Uh, you know, I'm not afraid that they're going to kick me out. I'm sure they will call to kick me out very often. Uh, I believe the socialist wing in our Congress is very afraid of having, uh, you know, a patriot who's willing to stand up and fight back against them. Uh, also, also somebody who can who can also articulate our conservative ideology in a way that makes sense to my generation. And so I I'm a firm believer uh, that we could see. Uh, Myself being censured, also other people like Matt Gates uh, and some other strong voices in Congress being censured. But again, I'm not sure that this really serves the Democrats. This would just give us a platform to, you know, get to have an open debate on the House floor, uh, you know, where you have House Democrats admonishing us for, you know, our whatever they deem as our sins. But then we get to defend, you know, the reason we stood up for the Constitution. And so I would see it as a win for Republicans. How do you anticipate uh, fighting the? Democrat agenda that uh, I'm seeing now, you know, every day there's a new story about what uh, President-elect Biden is getting ready to do. So how, how do you how do you foresee trying to stall that or oppose that when Republicans are, you know, the minority party in both chambers now? Uh, well, you know, I think right now the mission of all Republicans is to limit the Democrats where we can, but also to make the case to Americans to really show what we believe in. Yeah, I, I said in my convention speech back in August uh, that, you know, obviously I, I, I kind of admonished liberals and said, hey, be a true liberal. Let's, let's be willing to sit down and have hard conversations. Let the best ideas win out. Uh, but then I also had a rebuke for conservatives saying, hey, we need to define what we believe in because a lot of people believe that we are just the party of no. So and we need to make a case that we are the party who believes in individual freedom, limited government, the rule of law, you know, peace through strength, uh, fiscal responsibility, free market capitalism, human dignity, or even you know, just something as simple as term limits. Uh, and so I think that the best thing we can do is to make the case to the American people and retake the majority in 2022. And really, that's our only hope. What of this fight going on inside the Republican Party between, you know, Trump supporters, this populist wing and the quote unquote establishment wing? And I guess, are you in either of those camps? You know what? I'm a, I'm not a Donald Trump Republican. I'm not a George Bush Republican. Uh, I'm a Madison Coughlin Republican. And I will tell you, being inside these halls of Congress, serving with my Republican colleagues, uh, I've got to say, I think that the leadership is actually doing a very good job 
uh, of recruiting and bringing together this very patriotic freshman class that has come in. And so I'll tell you, you know, although that the Republican Party is oftentimes divided, you're right, between this populist wing and uh, really kind of the principled wing, which I think I'm in, and then also the, uh, the establishment wing. I think that right now us having a foe that is as vile and evil as socialism and communism on the rise, I think this is going to unite us, and we are going to see the Republican Party more fierce and more united than we've ever seen before. Um, one of the uh, one of the stories that uh, emerged after the January 6th uh, riot at the uh, Capitol was that uh, there was a report that you were uh, that you said at least that you were armed. And this has caused <laughs> this has caused a backlash. And so I'm curious, uh, uh, can you walk us through like, did you actually have the gun? Is that is that not allowed? Um, I, I mean, I don't want to give away operational security issues here or anything, but um, I, I know there are people that are very outraged at you for uh, for carrying. Oh, well, you know, I, I, I'm not afraid to say I can still carry every single day. Um, but no, you cannot have a, a, a firearm on the house floor, but obviously once we left the house floor, I was able to go and retrieve my firearm. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, you know, people who are outraged by people who carry guns, it, it seems a bit ludicrous to me because there are millions of Americans who conceal carry every single day. And th- they really do this because they refuse to be a victim. They, they realize that they are their own first responder. Uh, and I think that, you know, I don't think that everybody needs to carry a gun. I'm, I'm not going to require my, my mom or my wife or my brother or my dad to carry a gun, although the majority of them do. Uh, but I think that every single person who, you know, the people who can seal carry are in line behind you at checkout. And you would never know. Uh, but if somebody did come in with ill content trying to harm innocent Americans, you're going to be happy that there's a good guy with a gun there who's going to be able to stop that evil from happening. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of my colleagues were also very thankful that I had a firearm because, you know, they, they I'm sure they felt safer. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and also knowing how to use it. That's part of the <laughs> as I just, that, that, right? <laughs> just having that it. Is, that's one a, thing. A lot of people think they just want to go get their concealed carry permit and they want to buy a gun. You know, I think it's absolutely uh, critical that you really on two set fronts is that you train so that you can safely use it, safely store it, make sure that you're not a danger to other people. Uh, and two, you know, I think it's absolutely imperative that everybody gets, you know, just some remedial medical training. Uh, so I, although I did have a firearm on me, I also had a medical kit. I have that one on me at all times in my mm. wheelchair. Uh, and the reason is because you are far more likely to, you know, uh, come across a scene of an active shooter or somebody who's in terrible medical condition than you are to really be right there and have the ability to stop it. Uh, and so I think that if you're going to be, uh, you know, carrying a firearm, having the ability uh, to one make holes and take a life. I think you should also have the ability uh, to to fill holes and to save a life. Is there uh, anything else that you want to add that you think is important or interesting to note before I let you go here? Yes, you know what? I, I think that we're seeing a rise in this kind of this cancel culture. And we're seeing an assault on free speech right now. You can see on social media platforms, it's the number one conversation going on, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook. Um, the president was banned. 60,000 uh, accounts are banned on Twitter. Many people are being cens- censored on Facebook and Instagram. And I think this is our new town square, really. So I, I think we need to try and figure out a way we can have some First Amendment protections on social media. And also you can see that you know the free market is even being stifled. We, the parlor is being shut down. Uh, but I think right now you're seeing something even more dangerous. You're seeing cancel culture happen within our very government. 
there are people who are trying to kick me out of Congress because I actually stand up and speak for the Constitution and for my constituents. Uh, and I don't – I'll tell you right now that that's a cancer culture is not going to work. I will fight back against that every single day. I will fight to represent the people of Western North Carolina, and I will do it well. Um, and that, that, that's the, uh, the solemn oath I give to the people of my, my district. Uh, but when you I, I just encourage everybody, whether you're on the left or the right, be willing to hear ideas that are contrary to your own. Uh, you know, the left always pushes for diversity, 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 just for the sake of diversity. Uh, but it really, I believe, and I think this is really the, the belief of a lot of the people in our party that I don't really care what your race is. I don't care what your religion is. I, I care that you believe in our founding principles, that you believe America is an exceptional country and we should fight to keep it exceptional. Uh, but also, I, I believe that, you know, you can tell me an idea that's contrary to my own. Let's have diversity of thought. I believe that's the best way for us to move forward and prosper as a country. I've always said unchallenged ideas are very easy to hold. And, uh, yeah, people get uh, they get uh, entombed in their echo chamber uh, when they don't get challenged like that. And I think it makes them it makes them lazy because they're not prepared to defend their ideas. And I think that that actually prompts a lot of that cancel culture reaction. People don't know how to defend uh, an idea because they're not practiced. Oh, you're so right. And I think it creates extremists. And, you know, I, I can understand how people become extremists. You know, it feels good to be an extremist. It feels good to blame every single problem in your life on some people group or some other other people or blame it on, you know, the, the all powerful of them. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, Pete, and I, I encourage this, especially people in my generation, make your number one attribute that you want to pursue personal responsibility. Realize that, you know, shortcomings in your life are oftentimes because of lack of discipline. Uh, and so I, I think that having your ideas challenged, it keeps you from becoming an extremist and it keeps your mind open. I think it's important. Congressman Madison Cawthorn representing the 11th district of North Carolina. Thanks so much for your time, sir. Appreciate it. And, uh, look to chatting again in the future. Absolutely. Pete, you have a great day, brother. See ya. So while I was doing show prep this morning, I came across a tweet from a fellow that I follow. He's a pundit of sorts, and uh, he said uh, he's always waking up in the middle of the night at like 1 or 2 a.m., and uh, he can't get back to sleep. Anybody have any suggestions? And so, uh, of course, I told him, yeah, growershemp.com. Go to growershemp.com, and by the way, use the promo code PETE. I forgot to tell him that. Use the promo code PETE, and you'll get 20% off. Okay, growershemp.com. Full spectrum hemp extract added to your daily routine. I did. I take a couple drops before I go to bed and I sleep more deeply than I ever have before in my life because uh, what this fellow was saying on Twitter reminded me of myself. That's what I, I would wake up in sort in the middle of the night, kind of lay around for a half an hour to an hour and finally drift back to sleep. But I could never stay asleep the whole night. And when I would lay down to go to bed, I could never fall asleep very quickly. So uh, I've been taking CBD from Growers Hemp. I don't have that problem anymore. So as with all CBD products, by the way, here's the official disclaimer that GovCo requires. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. Uh, These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. And here's what I love about Growers Hemp is that these are North Carolina family farms that said, you know what, why don't we, we're already raising the crop, why don't we control the process, giving our customers a better uh, quality and a lower price? 
So they do. They have the whole system from seed to shelf, and you benefit from that, and you help support North Carolina farmers. So go to growershemp.com. Again, the promo code is PETE. You'll get 20% off. Growers Hemp. It's about the hemp and not the hype. So uh, Cawthorn mentioned, Congressman Cawthorn mentioned this tweet that his uh, general election opponent put out, and this did get uh, some national coverage uh, over the last 24 hours. Mo Davis, his uh, Democratic challenger, he tweeted out that uh, this, yeah, he tweeted out that I was chief prosecutor at Guantanamo for over two years, and there's far more evidence of Congressman Madison Cawthorn's guilt than there was of guilt for 95 plus percent of the detainees. It's time we start a domestic war on sedition by American terrorists. And I'm just trying to imagine the outrage level uh, if this had been a Republican who had lost to a Democrat. I'm also trying to imagine the outrage level if, you know, somebody like if Stacey Abrams happened to be a Republican running around saying for four years that the election was rigged against her. And she actually won. She's actually the governor of Georgia. I wonder if you would see the kind of hand wringing and pearl clutching over these, you know, uh, claims, these misinformation claims that this elected official is making or unelected official, I guess. And that is, by the way, the way that uh, this is dismissed. It's that, well, Mo Davis didn't win. See, so because he didn't win, who cares? But I cared, and a lot of people in the district cared, because Mo Davis was tweeting this kind of garbage out for years. People look at the race and like, how do I understand how Madison Cawthorn could have won that race? This is how Madison Cawthorn could have won the race. Because as much as you may not like what Cawthorn tweets, this guy is, I mean, he's using violent fetish porn Twitter. Like, th- there's something wrong with this guy. There has to be. I-, I-, I don't know anybody that I have seen on a social media platform that uses violence like this as much as this guy does and did in the primary as well. Um, Glenn Greenwald, who is hardly a conservative, right? He saw this and he tweets out, yeah, keep telling me that liberals 9-11 and war on terror is hyperbole, and I'll keep posting tweets like this guy's from the still embittered Democratic colonel who lost to Madison Cawthorn, explicitly comparing Cawthorn to Gitmo detainees, calling him a terrorist and urging a war on sedition. See, real liberals, not leftists, but liberals, um, are growing increasingly concerned about the use of the capital attack as a an excuse to implement 9-11 war on terror type tactics against American citizens, because, of course, they would be used against American citizens. Right. The same concerns that civil libertarians raised after 9-11 about the use of surveillance powers that were now being expanded to fight the war on terror that, hey, guys, this this stuff is going to get used against Americans. Fast forward to not even two decades later, 15 years, and the FISA court actually is used against who? Donald Trump. Exactly. His campaign. So like those prophecies were correct. And so you should be worried when you start hearing this kind of talk about any political group. Misinformation. Here's the headline at the Hill the other day. Misinformation fueled the Capitol riots. A Biden commission could chart a path forward. And this is written by two North Carolina University professors at Duke. 
Bill Adair, who is the founding editor of PolitiFact. He's also the Knight Professor of the Practice of Journalism and Public Policy in the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University. Also, Philip Napoli. He is the James R. Shepley Professor of Public Policy at the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University. He's also the author of a book, Social Media and the Public Interest, Media Regulation in the Disinformation Age. And their premise here is that there needs to be a commission and that commission needs to come up with some solutions about misinformation, such as incentives, voluntary industry reforms, education, regulations, and new laws, which I thought regulations are laws. That's isn't that kind of the point, but I, I don't know. I'm not a <clears throat> I'm not, you know, well respected and award winning journalism people here. So um the attack on the U.S. Capitol was based on lies, they say. Uh, the mob that stormed the Capitol was acting on a tidal wave of misinformation about the election that was spread by the president, his fellow Republicans, and their supporters using a web of partisan media outlets, social media, and the dark corners of the Internet. Like Facebook. The lies flourished. <laughs> they did not say like Facebook. I added that. But it's true. This thing was organized largely on Facebook, Twitter, but also, yes, Parler, Snapchat, Signal, Telegram. There were all these different platforms. Anyway, the lies flourished despite an extraordinary amount of debunking by fact checkers and Washington journalists. But that fact checking didn't persuade the mob that stormed the Capitol, nor did it dissuade millions of other supporters of the president. Fed a steady diet of repetitive falsehoods by elected officials and partisan outlets, they believed the lies so much they were driven to violence. What's really amazing to me throughout this, I'm not going to go over the entire uh, op-ed here that they wrote for The Hill, uh, but it is linked at the Pete's prep sheet at the Patreon page. But um, they never stopped to ask why. Why didn't, why, why didn't these efforts by fact-checkers and journalists work? What happened? Right, like, you... you you can't just say it's all because, you know, people found the the sites that they wanted and told them what they wanted to hear. And that is part of it, by the way. And they do mention that, of course. That's their main focus. But they never ask, why didn't all of the people that are seeing the fact check pop up on their Facebook post? Why don't people believe the fact check? Is it because they don't want to believe it? Because it says something bad about Donald Trump. And look, Donald Trump tells lies all the time. Politicians tell lies all the time. Media tell lies all the time. Human beings tell lies, okay? Um, and sometimes they're just wrong. Sometimes they just make mistakes. Sometimes they misspeak. Sometimes they twist other people's words and such to make them say things and mean things that they didn't. But why wouldn't all of these people that encounter the fact check when it pops up, like, oh, you're about to show or you're about to share some information that is not accurate as deemed by PolitiFact, why wouldn't people be dissuaded from sharing that stuff? What, what would dissuade them from uh, from uh, believing that this is not true? Could it have something to do with you? <laughs> Media folks, might it have something to do with you? He goes on, or they go on to say, many people tried to prevent this for the past four years. Academics and journalists and philanthropists and foundations and tech leaders have thrown a lot at the problem of misinformation. Hundreds of millions of dollars and millions of words, plus countless conferences and reports. And yet the problem seems worse than ever. It's time for leadership. 
leadership from the same people that misinformation believers don't listen to. (laughs) I added that last part. Again, like the blind spot here is really astounding. How do you not see it? How do you not see that? And how do you not see that Old Grouch's military surplus is the place to go for all of your needs when it comes to uh, building out first aid kits? How about some body armor? How about ammo cans for storage? These things are really cool. So you can uh, you can pack stuff into them and uh, you can, you know, have it in your work truck, have it in your garage or your shed or your office. It's a, you know, have it's a great piece uh, just from an artistic kind of motif standpoint, but really functional as well. Yes, of course, of course, you can store store ammo in it. I mean, if you're just going to be boring like that, yes, you can do that too. He also has tons of cold weather gear, sweaters, military field jackets, solid green and camo, woolen fleece, toboggans, wool socks, Gore-Tex jackets. Um, So if you are looking to get outfitted for, you know, hunting or camping or hiking, uh, or if you need to build up your prep supplies, go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus, located on Main Street in downtown Clyde for more than three decades Old Grouch's Military Surplus, open Monday through Saturday. That's the shop. It's always open online at oldgrouch.com. So what's amazing to me is that these two Duke University journalism professors who have all of this experience in the field, uh, in their careers, and they don't see what is plainly right in front of them, which is that the people that you're trying to, you know, you're trying to convince that they're getting things wrong. You're being misled. You need to listen to me. And they're not listening to you. And you're not asking why they're not listening to you. Do you know why they're not listening to you? Here's a here's one example. I will give you one example. Two words. Steel dossier. Right? Steel dossier. And if you are of the left, and I had this... Um, uh, this interaction actually with uh, Thomas Mills from politicsnc.com. I've had him on the program before, and Thomas is a Democratic strategist guy, uh, former candidate. He's a Democrat. I wouldn't put him in the camp of like far lefty, you know, progressive kind of guy. He's more liberal Democrat. But he has no idea when I said there is a straight line connecting the Steele dossier to the Capitol riots. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. There is, an, there is an information vacuum on the left, just as there is on the right. The difference is that the left controls so much of the culture that they're insulated from not understanding what the right is talking about and what the right knows that the left doesn't. The left is very aware that the right exists in this misinformation echo chamber unlike us. Like, hey guys, uh, pot, meat, kettle. Steel dossier. There's a great piece. I've got it linked up again at the Pete Prep Sheet. Um, the Rise and Fall of the Steel Dossier. This is by Aaron Matei. He's writing at The Nation of all places. The Nation. Hardly a right-wing publication, okay? He says, and it's a very lengthy piece, by the way, but you will enjoy it. During his time in office... Uh, Trump's time in office, Democratic Party operatives and their allies in the media challenged the legitimacy of Donald Trump's 2016 victory with a xenophobic conspiracy theory of their own. He was because he starts off talking about, you know, Trump and the the uh, birtherism and xenophobia and all that stuff. Okay, again, this is coming from a person on the left. Okay, a liberal writer, Aaron Maté. But I give him a lot of credit because he's actually following up with real journalism to look at what happened with this Steele dossier. And he's condemning the left for their behavior. 
as well they should be. He says Russia, it was claimed, not only installed Trump in the White House, but did so as part of an elaborate plot with his campaign. While Russiagate did not incite the hatred, violence, and harm of Trump's MAGA and Stop the Steal movement, it was not without its own dangerous consequences. See, now on that part, I would disagree because I believe that on the line that you draw from the Steele dossier to uh, the, the, the Capitol riot, along that path, along that line, is the inauguration violence that occurred is the Black Lives Matter Antifa riots that have occurred and continue to occur. All of that is violence of the left, and it all became normalized because Donald Trump was seen to be illegitimate. None of that works unless you believe that the entire system is illegitimate. And this is what the left has been feeding its audience. The media on the left has been feeding its audience for the last four years, five years now. Um, He goes on to say the first Manchurian candidate rumblings about Trump surfaced in the summer of 2016. But the pivotal incident, which morphed into all-consuming Russia mania, came on January 10th, 2017, when BuzzFeed News published the Steele dossier, the collection of DNC-funded reports alleging a high-level conspiracy between Trump and Moscow. The catalyst had come four days earlier when then-FBI Director Jim Comey personally briefed Trump on the dossier's existence. Their meeting was then promptly leaked to the media, and that gave BuzzFeed the news hook to publish the Steele dossier material in full. Because if you don't have that meeting, then there's no reason to publish it because it's just uncorroborated rumor, basically, right? It's raw intel. It has very it has no value and you can't publish it because you can't corroborate any of it so jim comey goes and tells the president hey heads up there's this thing called the steel dossier and they know it's crap by the way at this point they already knew it was bunk but they tell they tell trump that uh, comey then you know leaves the meeting immediately tells buzzfeed news and buzzfeed runs with hey comey briefed the president about this steel dossier what's the steel dossier glad you asked there are golden showers and hookers peeing on beds and such. Yeah, that, that's where this all came from. Like, that's, that's a misinformation propaganda operation run by our intel community against the president. Is it any wonder that nobody on the right believes you, media? Duke University professors who are like, gosh, I don't understand why people believe this misinformation. Because they don't believe you. You guys are still up there white knighting for these media outlets that relied on unnamed sources, anonymous sources, you know, people with knowledge of the situation that were spreading lies in an effort to oust the president. Insurrection! Sedition! But now I'm supposed to care more because the right did what you guys did. Well, they attacked the Capitol. I see. So when you attack the elite's home, now it matters more than billions of dollars in damage, scores of people dead, um, and uh, the economic toll of what we just witnessed over the last year of the burning down of cities. Like, that, that that's just for us plebes, you know? Who cares? You could rebuild. Isn't that what you got insurance for? Right? This was the response that we got when we were complaining about the violence being enacted for political aims. But now that it was turned on them, now all of a sudden it's like, we need a federal commission. We need to figure out why these 
massive, great unwashed, why they're not listening to us. Why don't they believe what we tell them? We had fact checkers fact check this stuff. Trump is lying all over the place and they keep believing him instead of us because maybe they know you lied too. Maybe they don't know who to trust and so they pick the one that they like because when you're left with the options of a liar versus a liar, but, you know, this liar says he's on my side, I'm going to go with that guy. <laughs> I'm going to go with him, even though he may be lying. This is where we are. Now, if you're in a, uh, a stuck point in your project because you don't have the right piece of equipment or the right tool, then you're in luck because I've got the answer for you. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. Uh, yeah, it's true. They've got all the tools that you could need from lawn and garden equipment to construction stuff like heavy machinery, heavy tools, big tools, but also, you know, smaller ones. If you've got a smaller project, you just need just that one tool just to finish that one part. And then project's done. So if you are a homeowner in search of the right tool for the job, General Equipment Rental will help you not only find the right tool, but also tell you how to use it. If you are a contractor, this is a great way to fill in the gaps. If you know you don't want to go out and buy a particular piece of equipment to just carry around all the time, no, just go rent one. General Equipment Rental. They're in Weaverville. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Family owned and operated for three generations. Also, spring is approaching and uh, General Equipment Rental is your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. So head on over to General Equipment Rental in Weaverville or go to their website, generalrents.com and think outside your toolbox. So uh, back to this nation piece by Aaron Maté. Uh, he says, according to Steele, Trump and the Kremlin engaged in a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation. Russia had, according to the Steele dossier, been cultivating and supporting and assisting Donald Trump for at least five years, dating back to when he was on The Apprentice, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But anyway, um, if the Steele dossier's far-fetched uh, far claims were not enough reason to dismiss it with ridicule, another obvious marker should have set off alarms. Which was what? When you read through the Steele dossier chronologically, and by the way, most people on the right are way more up to speed on the details of the Steele dossier than people on the left are. Just a heads up, guys. Like, just because the right focuses on different topics doesn't mean that they are less informed about those topics. <laughs> they, they really know about the Steele dossier, the spying on Carter Page, the FISA courts, all of it, okay? They know all the players, about the text messages, all of it, okay? Reading the Steele dossier chronologically, you see a pattern that emerges, he says. Steele, Christopher Steele, has no advanced knowledge of anything that later turns out to be true. And, just as tellingly, many of his most explosive claims only appear after some approximate prediction has come out in public form. So in short, far from having access to high-level intelligence, Steele and his sources only had access to news outlets and their own imaginations. That's it. Okay, All of this was lost on the many credulous media outlets who served as de facto stenographers for Steele, his clients, and a series of unknown intel officials who, behind the safe mask of anonymity, assured the public of Steele's credibility. And in the process, I would add, did terrible damage to media reputation and credibility, as well as the Department of Justice, the FBI, 
all of these institutions are no longer credible to about half of the country. And this is one example why. This is a big one. And I know people on the left don't understand this. People on the right do. I'm trying to tell you, if you are of the left, if you are of the media and you're listening to this and you're like, oh, that's just crap, nobody believes, I'm, I'm telling you, this is a huge problem for media and for the Democratic Party and for the institutions. People on the right have been seething over this, and I would submit rightfully so. Rightfully so, because when you hear what went, what occurred, and I urge you, please go read this. This is written by—it's at the Nation. It's written by a, a journalist. This is not some, you know, uh, Sean Hannity or Gateway Pundit kind of a site here. Okay, um, as the media vouched for Steele's tradecraft, anonymous officials also fed media contacts a false picture that Steele's dossier had been factually checked out when, in fact, it had not. Even the revelation in October of 2017 that Steele's intelligence had been paid for by the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, and the Clinton campaign, that did not stop the media adulation. He goes on to document example after example after example of this. And he says, while the media and political promotion of the dossier was contemptible, its embrace by the FBI is an even bigger scandal because rather than dismiss this work as a political hit job, the FBI used it as source material. They then went to the FISA court, knowing this material was not true, told the court that they had this material, they believed it to be true when they knew it wasn't. They then got warrants to spy on Carter Page, who it turns out was a CIA asset that the FBI also knew but didn't tell the court. You really should read the entire thing, but let me just conclude. He says, the Steele affair triggered at least some governmental-level contrition and nominal reforms, but the same cannot be said about the prominent media and political figures who promoted his ludicrous claims with equal credulity. If there's no honest self-reflection to be had from the elite figures who spread Steele's inventions, perhaps there can still be some lessons drawn for those subjected to the farce. He says... Uh, maybe we can develop some insight into the MAGA mindset when we consider our own malleability. That's a wrap for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. Remember, go to the Pete Show dot com, subscribe and talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.